Welcome to the 59th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we are taking a look at UFC Fight Night Chris Dauskas versus Curtis Blades. And after that, we do have some news and we have some fight announcements that we should discuss. And there is no card next week, so we won't be previewing any card. So um, those are the only two things on the docket for this week. And as always, we are going to start right off at our main event of Chris Dauskas versus Curtis Blades. Now, um, the biggest thing, obviously, that stands out here is Curtis Blades did not attempt a single takedown in this fight. And that is huge because if you know anything about Curtis Blades, you know that he is very dependent on his wrestling. And that is not to say he's a bad striker. But in the past, his losses have come by knockout. And is that really that bad of a thing when you have three losses on your record and you were knocked out by Nganu twice and Derek Lewis once? You know, not really. Um, sometimes those things happen. But in this fight, we saw a, a lot more striking-oriented of an approach. And that's not something that I was expecting. And I don't think many people were expecting that. With that being said, um, Curtis Blades performed really well on the feet. Obviously, he got the knockout early in the second round. And that was a tremendous shot that he landed to put out Chris Dawkins. He was the what seemed to be the more powerful fighter in a lot of their exchanges. Um, he, caught, he hit Chris Dawkins with another shot early. Um, in the early in the first round that really looked like it hurt him. Um, he sat back a little. And then the, the, the first strike he landed in the second round, obviously, really put him down. He followed up with some really nice ground and pound to put the show away. So very strong performance by Curtis Blades. And there are a couple things that stood out to me. Um, first thing was his timing. His timing was very good. And that is not something that you can just wake up one day and just have good timing with your striking. It just doesn't work like that. So for Curtis Blaze to come in here and really have that good timing. And there were some moments where, you know, he was he was really attacking at the right time from some really strong angles. There were moments where um, Dauskas would come forward and Curtis Blaze would avoid the strikes coming at him and then just return with a one or a two but he'd hit the mark with that so he'd maybe he would go backwards slip two or three shots and then really just come back with with a good right hand um, and it was really a good way of punishing Chris for every time he pressured and even if those strikes were not doing anything crazy at the time he was landing them at very good times and, and that helped him win the first round and he even mixed in some feints um, nothing incredible, you know, he didn't, you know, faint to a takedown and throw an overhand right, he didn't do anything like that, but he had some small feints where they were, they were really just head feints, mostly, where he's going like this, and, and really just fainting with the head, um, a little bit of body movement as well, but nothing too crazy, um, but the timing and the fainting, Show me that Chris Dauskas, or excuse me, show me that Curtis Blades has been really working on his striking. And we have seen noticeable improvements in Curtis Blades' striking throughout his career, but most notably in the Derek Lewis fight and in this fight. And I know he got knocked out 
by Derek Lewis, but he did win the first round of that fight um, with the striking approach. So um, you can look back at some past performances and really see the growth that Curtis has put in um, with his hands. And um, another thing that I really liked from Curtis was that he he throws some leg kicks, right? He doesn't throw a bunch, but he throws some. If you look at the heavyweight division, there aren't a lot of guys that really throw a lot of leg kicks. And it's because heavyweights, you know, if you go in there to throw a leg kick and someone throws a right hand right down the middle and puts it on your chin, you're probably going to get knocked out. Um, leg kicks are a lot more high risk at the heavier weight classes than they are at 125 and, and 135 and so on. But um, Blades was effective in throwing some leg kicks, and, and that is something that I really like. Um, it, it gives him a level of uniqueness. And that's not to say he's the only guy at heavyweight throwing leg kicks because he's not. Um, Francis threw some really nice leg kicks against Stipe in that fight. Surreal Gan throws some good kicks to the legs as well. Um, but overall, that is not a division that really throws a lot of leg kicks. So for Curtis to come in here and, and really put some work in on the legs is something that I like. And then um, one, of, one of the reasons that can be so helpful because is in another fight where you can... If you can beat up a leg, it makes it easier to get to a takedown, right? If you beat up someone's league leg enough to where they have to switch stances, you can go in and shoot a single leg on the good leg, and then they're left to hop around on the bad leg, and you're going to get an easy takedown. Um, for example, if you look at the Askar Askarov and Kaikar France fight, there were some moments where Askar Askar, or excuse me, where Kaikar France is defending a single leg, and he's really bouncing on one leg. And he's really doing a great job keeping balance. Um, if that leg were shot up with a leg kick, with leg kicks, you know that would have been a more difficult challenge. Um, and that's not to say Curtis Blades can't get takedowns without that, but that is just an interesting little wrinkle that I think he could add to his game that I think would um, really help him and, and give him a, a level up, even though he is already a great wrestler. Okay, um, and now the question is, what is next for Curtis Blades? Because Blades is in a really interesting spot because his only loss, or he's like I said, he's got three losses, and they're to Nganu and Derek Lewis. Nganu, like I said, has beat him twice. Now, the the really interesting thing is, does he did he do enough to get a title shot? Uh, probably not. And I know he called for the interim title shot. But I'd be surprised at this point if the UFC goes in the interim direction. Maybe they do. It's not out of the question yet. Um, but but that is something to keep our eye on. But the reason I say Curtis Blades is in an interesting position is because there's several names that I could realistically see him getting matched up with. And once again, this depends on when does Francis return from his surgery? Does Francis sign a new long contract? Does John Jones come back? There's a lot of question marks at heavyweight. But um, there are some fights for Curtis Blades that make a level of sense. First off, I like the Tom Aspinall fight, and I think that would be a good fight for Curtis for several reasons. First of all, Tom Aspinall is in a position where he is... Tom Aspinall is not going to get a title shot after his performance against Volkov. 
However, if Tom Aspinall goes out there and really puts on a good performance against someone else in the top five, you can make a case that Tom is going to get a title shot. So if you're Blades, you can really save yourself a risk and you can go out there and put Aspinall out and then um, he doesn't skip you in terms of getting that title shot. So I think that would make a level of sense for Curtis. Um, Tai Tuivasa also makes a level of sense for Curtis because if they match Curtis and Ty up, similar situation, you don't want to get jumped in the path to a title because it is going to be interesting to determine who Francis's next fight is when you have a handful of candidates right now. And once again, if you take out Ty, you're you're taking out one of the opponents for a title shot. And, and Ty, in all, in all honesty, is not the greatest wrestler. And that would be a, a good fight for Curtis from a stylistic point of view. He probably would be able to go out there and get takedowns. Now, does he get caught? That is possible. However, um, if he can work some takedowns to get some ground control, that's a winnable fight. And then, obviously... The Gan and Stipe fight is are, are there as well. Um, I just don't think that the UFC is going to go in that direction. I think the UFC would rather book Stipe and Gan together, or or do like a a Gan and Tom or a Gan and Tai Tuivasa. I just think those are more appealing options for the UFC than Curtis Blades. So I don't necessarily think he's going to get one of those. But um, obviously, like I said. This really depends on several factors. For example, if John comes back and fights Francis, that that really, you know, they need someone for Gan and Miotrick. They probably match them together, and then that creates a little, little game of matchmaking between Ty Curtis and Tom. However, on another hand, John doesn't come back, and say they do Francis versus Stipe, and and then you know. And then you're looking at Surreal Gan now needs an opponent. Do they go Ty? Do they go do they go Tom Aspino? Um, do they go Curtis, right? So I think realistically he's going to be looking at Ty or Tom Aspino um, next. And regardless, I think that Curtis Blades has put himself in a very good spot. Regardless of what is next for Curtis Blades, he's in a good spot. He's going to get matched up against someone in the top six, and it probably won't be Derek Lewis, right? That fight just happened. Um, Derek Lewis is probably going to, you know, I'm not really sure what's next for Derek Lewis, but I, I don't think Curtis versus Derek Lewis makes any sense. So for Curtis, he's looking at about five names where realistically there is a situation where he could get those fights. Like I said, Ty and, and Tom are more likely to happen than Surreal and Stipe, but but he could possibly get those fights. So, wrap wrap up that long discussion on on who Curtis's next fight is. Overall, there's a lot of unranked guys, or excuse me, there's a lot of unbooked ranked fighters that you could realistically match Curtis up with, and he has put himself in a very good spot with his performance to get a fight against a big name guy who puts him right into title contention. I don't think he gets a title shot right now, but um, one more win, I think he could get one. Um, and then for Dauskas, um, Dawkins, excuse me, he is still not too far out, right? 
Dawkins has done a good job of adding parity to this division, and there are still going to be a lot of interesting matchups for him moving forward. Um, one that sticks out is Alexander Volkov. Volkov is coming off a loss to Aspinall, so there's, they're ranked 7 and 9, both coming off losses. I think you could match them up. Um, Dawkins could fall to the 10 or 11 spot, but but still, you've got 7, and, and you've got someone in that 9 to 11 range, both coming off losses. Uh, I think that would make sense for both of them. Similar thought process. Um, Jarzinia Rosenstrike and Marcin Tabora are fighting in two weeks. You could take the loser of that fight and match them up with Dawkins, excuse me, and that would once again make sense. You have two people, similar spots in the ranking, coming off losses. Makes sense to me. And then the last name, who is coming off a win, Sergey Pavlich has returned after a lengthy, um, after some lengthy time off. Got a really nice win over Shamil. And I, I think that he is bound for a top 10 opponent. And I think Dawkins could be a, a good opportunity to break Sergey into the top 10 while giving Dawkins a good opponent and giving him an opportunity to get back in the win column. So I think even though Doc, even though um, Dawkins has lost his um, last two fights now, he is still in a good spot in this division where um, he, he's not going to be pushed out uh, of those rankings anytime soon. So um, he's still in a good spot. And then in the co-main, we had Alexa Grasso versus Joe Ann Wood. Now, um, this was a great performance for Alexa Grasso, obviously. And she has openly spoke about really mixing up her attack and, and rounding out her, her game. And I, I think she did just that in this fight. Alexa Grasso came in and she kept a lot of the positive things she has done in her last fight or in her previous fights. You know, she had the quick hands and she was looking great on the feet. And, and you can tell she's a she has a strong boxing background. You could see all of those things, right? So even though Grasso said, I want to round out my, my game in mixed martial arts and become a more complete and balanced fighter, she didn't toss away what works. You know, and, and that's the, really the best way to approach that. So good on her for that. Very impressive. And then we get to a point in the fight where she had, and she had some top control early as well, actually. So this wasn't like an isolated thing. She had some good top control. And for Grasso, being able to get some strong moments of top control can really, really help her win some fights. Um, if Alexa Grasso can go out there and get two and a half minutes of ground control and tire out her tire her opponent out a little bit um, she can then win the last two and a half minutes on the feet and really have a good round on her hands and that I think will help her win some decisions so that is a useful skill to have but she eventually gets the finish because Joanne would throw a spitting elbow and uh, it did hit Alexa Grasso so um you know, it wasn't as effective as some other spinning strikes we've seen. You know, it just wasn't as... Sometimes, you know, it just doesn't hit as well. It really just clipped her. It didn't, like... It wasn't going to... It was never going to put Alexa Grasso out. And 
Um, Grasso takes advantage of this, you know, gets the takedown, gets the back, and really does a good job of getting a rear naked choke in there to get herself a strong victory. So overall, I was very impressed with Alexa Grasso and her performance. Unfortunately, she's probably not going to be able to move up much in these rankings just because of how many fighters ahead of her are already booked up. For example, Andrade is booked, Trukagian, Murphy, Santos, Arjuno, Lee are already booked. Joanne Wood, she just fought. And then you've got Jennifer Maya. So Jennifer Maya is the only fighter ranked ahead of Grasso right now that is not booked. Um, you also have Manon Fior, who just fought, who will probably jump her in the rankings, I'd assume. And she is, I guess, now a potential opponent. So she really has two opponents ahead of her who are unbooked. Jennifer Maya and Manon Fior. Um, both of those fights make a level of sense. I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC says, hey, we need to get Fiora another fight. Will we wait for some of these matches to play out? And then she would be in a very good spot for a number one contenders fight. Um, however, for Fior, she is probably not going to get a shot over, depending on who all wins some of these upcoming fights. For example, Andrade just taking on Amanda Lemos. So if Lemos wins that, I, I honestly I actually don't know if that's it. 115 pounds or 125 pounds. Um, the report I saw that said they were fighting didn't say. So um, if Lemos is jumping to 125 and beats Andrade, she's going to get a title shot. Um, same for Amanda Hibas. If Hibas jumps from 115 to 125 and beats Chukagian, she's probably got the next shot over Shevchenko. And that's obviously after Talia Santos. <clears throat> so um, for Grasso, um, Jennifer Maya and me known Fior both make a level of sense. And now we are going to skip around a little bit. We're not going to go exactly in order. We're not going to talk about every fight. Next, we are going to talk about Kai Car France versus Asgar Askarov. And this was a tremendous fight. Probably my favorite fight on the card. This fight had a lot at stake. Winner gets the next title shot pretty much. And looking at this... At the beginning, it looked like it was gonna go. It, was, it looked like it was gonna be an Askar Askarov. Um, it looked like it was gonna be his night. Um, in the first round, he goes out there, gets some takedowns, advances position, gets to the back, spends a lot of time on the back. But Kaikar France did a really good job of staying composed and and not letting Askar Askarov find a submission early. And then in the second round, Kaikar France came back swinging. He, he he landed a really good shot early, and, and that really set the tone for that round. Kaikar France lands a big shot and really just pushes the pace for a lot of that round. And is really walking Askar Askarov down, landing some really, really good shots. And while he's doing this, he is defending all of, all of the takedowns in the second round. I'm not sure that... I don't think Askar Askarov, just off the top of my head, landed a takedown in the second round. But if he did, it was it was short-lived. And Kaikar France, great performance in that second round. Third round, both guys had their moments, right? Um, Kai won the last 
half of the round with strikes. Eskar Eskarov won the first half of the round with grappling. So it really came down to what do you prefer, right? Um, I scored it for Kaikar France. I just felt like he was landing the bigger strikes and doing more damage. So I took the damage over the control. If he wouldn't have done any damage in the last two and a half minutes on the feet, I'd give it to Askar Askarov. But I just think the damage, for me, is what did it. Um, if someone scores that fight for Askar Askarov, no hate towards him. Um, I, I think that's an acceptable scorecard, giving it to Askar Askarov. So um, I like the decision. I'm not going to argue with it. And I'm not going to argue about it. So if you think Askar Askarov won, you know, you're, you, you've got a good argument. And um, Kaikar France put himself in a very good spot. He beat someone who, first of all, he was not favored by the public, and he was not favored um, by Vegas. So he got a win over a very good opponent. And Asgore Askarov is a tremendous grappler and a tremendous fighter with some very good wins in this featherweight, or excuse me, in this flyweight division. So that earned Kai a title shot. The question is, does he get it next, right? Um, they're obviously looking at making that fourth, fourth fight between Divis and Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. And both guys actually said they wanted to fight Kaikar France. Um, Figueredo said, you know, hey, you know, I, I beat Moreno. Pantoja's beat Moreno. He's not a champion. I want to fight Kaikar France. And... Um, Brandon Moreno said, you know, I don't think Figgy wants to fight. Let's 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 fight while while we wait for Figgy to do whatever he's doing. So, um I, I think he's gonna get a title shot. I, I do think they do Moreno versus Figueredo four first, and then I think he fights the winner. Um for Askar Askarov, he is still one of the top guys in this division. And he's already beat Pantoja. That fight would make a lot of sense if they wouldn't have already fought. But um, Roy Vall and Perez are both tied for fourth in the rankings. And I think that Askar Askarov versus either of those guys um, makes sense. <clears throat> and then Magny and Neil Magny and Max Griffin were on this card. And that was a very, very good fight. Very close fight. Once again, I'm not going to argue with anyone over this decision. Very close. So for Neil Magny, ended up getting out of there with a win. He had a very good final round, and Max Griffin had moments of his own. So um, I think the biggest thing here was that even though Max Griffin was unranked, he proved he's the caliber of a ranked fighter. You know, he didn't get the win, but he he did just as much as you can as you can without getting one. And Matchmaking for this 170-pound division is not <laughs> very easy, you know, um, especially from Neil Magny, because I just do not think the UFC would match Neil Magny up with a lot of the names ahead of him right now, um, aside from Sean Brady. I think Magny versus Sean Brady makes sense. I think that would be a good fight for Sean Brady while he, he builds his name. Because for some reason, name recognition means a lot more at 170 than it does in other divisions, it seems like. Um, and that's not the UFC's fault, but it just seems like fighters won't fight guys who, who don't have big names. Um, 
especially when you've got guys like Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington in this division. You've got guys like Burns, who's fighting Chimaev, who, that's a big fight. Edwards is getting the title shot. Luke, Luke, in all fairness. Luke and below Muhammad will fight anyone. Um, Sometimes it seems like Wonderboy will fight anyone, and sometimes it seems like he's super selective. So, aside from Sean Brady, I don't think Neil Magny will get a name ahead of him in the rankings. Um, Unless Vicente Luque beats... He could get the loser of Luque and Muhammad. Um, that fight is... Nah, when's that? I don't know when that fight is, honestly. But it's got to be soon. That fight has been booked for a while. Um, regardless, it doesn't really make that big of a difference. So, um, for Neil Bagney, Sean Brady, and then the loser of Luque and Muhammad all make sense. Maybe Wonderboy 2, that also makes a level of sense. I wouldn't hate that fight. Um, and then... For Max Griffin, I think he is, he might not get another ranked fight because he did just lose, but um, I could see him getting someone in the in the latter portion of those rankings, or I could see him fighting an unranked guy and then getting a win and getting right back into ranked opponents. Li Jingliang at 13 makes sense. Um, Ponzinibbio it just got booked. Shavkat Rachmanov maybe, but they'd probably give him Someone higher up in those rankings. If they go outside of the rankings, Daniel Rodriguez maybe would make sense. Tim Means, Kevin Holland, some some guys in that range. Gunnar Nelson, Jake Matthews maybe even. So um, he's got options, and I think he's one fight away from being fighting uh, ranked opponents again. And then let's do a speedy wrap-up of the remainder of this card. Um, Matt Brown and Brian Barbarino had a really, really great fight. Um, Barbarino got booed at the end. He probably shouldn't have got booed, but when you win a decision over a fan-favorite fighter in their hometown, you're going to get booed. Nothing personal against Barbarino. And um, I'm interested to see where these guys go. Anytime you're over 40 and you lose, people are going to talk about retirement for Matt Brown. Um, Barbarina said he doesn't have a contract, so he said he'd keep fighting if he got a contract. If not, he's going to retire. So, um, interesting spot for both of these guys. Regardless, I think they both stay in the same level of, of competition. I don't think they uh, they uh, skyrocket too much in, in terms of opponents. I just think they're going to get fun guys who will get in wars um, and I think that's the direction both Matt Brown and Brian Barberina go if they continue fighting in the UFC. Um, Mark Casey put on a very good performance against Vyashev Borshev. And, you know, for Casey, people look at him as a, as a big-time kickboxer. But he had the advantage on the ground, and he utilized that in this fight. So that is important to figure out where you're stronger than your opponent and... and and really exploit that weakness uh, until you uh, get your hand raised, and that's exactly what he did. So good job by Mark Casey for that. Zary McMahon, very good performance against Carol Rosa. Um, she did what she does and, and got out of there with a unanimous decision victory. Chris Gutierrez, tremendous performance. Spitting back fist to some ground and pound. That was a fun fight and great finish by Chris Gutierrez. Ali Shabab Kirizev got a very nice win over Dennis Tiulin. 
and um, he said he's moving down to 170. I, I really like that move, and, and Ali Shabab looked very good. I was more impressed with his hands and his grappling. Anytime you get a good grappler in there who will throw his hands around a little bit, that stands out to me. So um, I think he could do really well at 170. Um, Menon Fior had a very good performance against Jennifer Maya. That fight will move her up to the top five, um, top six of that 125-pound division. She's a fight or two fights away from a title shot, and she continued her, her strong striking. You know, she strikes very well, some very nice kicks, and she showed off some good grappling against Maya as well. Like I said earlier, those are both potential opponents for Alexa Grasso. And then Mateus Nicolau versus David Dvorak. They, um, this fight was okay, nothing crazy. Um, two ranked guys at flyweight, so I was surprised it was this low on the card. But, um, you know, for Mateus Nicolau, this will move him into maybe getting some elite competition at 125 pounds. If you look at the guys ranked above him, he's at 7. And you've got Kaikar France, who's obviously getting a title shot. But then you've got Perez and Roy Vall and Pantoja. So maybe he gets one of those guys. Obviously, if, if they match, for example, if they do Askar Askarov versus Brandon Roy Vall, maybe then they do Alex Perez versus Mateus Nicolau. Um, some options there for him. And he may get a big-named big, big -named opponent at 125 pounds. And... Um, Luis Saldana opened the night with a decision victory over Bruno Souza. Very strong card overall. And um, I, I, I love seeing fans again. Having the fans in the building does a lot to, to a fight night card. I like having them in the Apex. It's cool having them in the, in the Apex. But if you can go to a place like Columbus and sell it out, I, I think that is very meaningful. It makes the it makes the fight um, it gives the fights a, a great energy gives them gives them a great energy and I love that. Um, like I said, we have no card to preview, so we're gonna go right into we're gonna go right into some news and some fight bookings, and then we're gonna d discuss those, and then we're gonna get out of here semi early. Um, so the first. Booking was Sean Strickland versus Alex Pereira at UFC 277 on July 30th. I cannot believe they made this fight. Um, after I thought about it, I'm not really surprised. But I really thought they were going to try and break Pereira into the rankings against someone like Shabazian or Brad Tavares or someone of that skill set. I didn't think Alex Pereira was going to get a shot against the number four ranked fighter in the world right away. So I think that is interesting. And it, it is a winnable fight for him as well. Sean Strickland's a great fighter in his own right, but um, so is Alex Pereira. And that'll probably largely be a, a striking exchange. And um, Pereira will have a shot. And um, for Sean Strickland, this is giving him a good opportunity as well. Um, beating Pereira is meaningful, so that would um, give him a case for a title shot maybe. Um, I guess we kind of have to see how that division plays out. I thought they were going to do Strickland versus Costa, so I was very surprised, but um, not too upset. Um, a quicker one, Irina Aldana is out, 
And now the new fight is Lad, Aspen Lad versus Raquel Pennington. So just a heads up on that. And then we had Caitlin Chikagian is fighting Amanda Hebas on May 14th. Hebas moving up to 125 pounds. If she gets a win at 125 pounds, she will be fast-tracked to a title shot. So keep your eye out on that fight. Jan Blachowicz versus Alexander Rakic on May 14th as well. This fight, once again, has major title implications at 205 pounds. Um, if Rakic gets a win, he could get a title shot. Um, if Jan Blachowicz gets a win, maybe they do a rematch, maybe they don't. That's really interesting. Um but you've got Glover versus Yuri right now. So that fight will have major title implications. But um, we still got to wait for the title to play out before anything too wild happens. Casey O'Neill is taking on Jessica I at UFC 276 on July 2nd. This isn't a huge bump in the rankings for Casey O'Neill. She's at 12. She's now fighting Jessica I, who is ranked 10th. However, Jessica I is a bigger named fighter. In that 125, that's 115 pounds. Nope, that's 125 pounds. My goodness, I can't believe that. But um, yeah, my bad. But um, Casey O'Neill versus Jessica I. O'Neill, this is really going to be her first veteran, um, big name fighter who has consistently been ranked, right? Jessica I fought for a title. So this is a really good fight for Casey O'Neill. To break into the elite. And um, if she gets a win. She is going to be in a good spot in that division. And like we were talking about earlier with Alexa Grasso. That a lot of these fights are, are booked. But um, by that time. The dust will be starting to settle. So Casey O'Neill, if she gets a win. Will have a lot of options at 125 pounds. Um, and then the last fight to talk about that got booked. Was Santiago Ponzinibbio fighting Michelle Pieda. On May 21st, that should be a tremendous fight. That should be a lot of fun. Um, and those were all the fight bookings that we had to go over. And that is also all we have to talk about this week, since there is no fight card next week. And since there is no fight card next week, I still plan on doing an episode. I want to do a preview because we have UFC 270. Five. It is headlined by Alexander Volkanovsky versus the Korean Zombie. And, the, oh my god, it's UFC 273. Terrible with the numbers here. But um, UFC 273, headlined by Chan Song Jung and Alexander Volkanovsky. Another title fight between Aljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan. Those are two great fights. Um, I'm not going to go into breaking down the whole card because, like I said, I'm going to save that for next week so we can have an episode next week. So next week we're going to be going over UFC 273, and we are going to be talking about any more news that comes up between now and then. Maybe we'll even do a little discussion about Nate Diaz because he's been tweeting a lot, but uh, um, Nate Diaz tweeting Sometimes isn't very newsworthy because it doesn't really mean much because who knows what will happen. So far, nothing has happened. But maybe we'll break into the Nate Diaz versus Dustin Poirier fight and discuss that as well. That would be a fun topic to talk about because we've gotten away from some of those more theoretical talks. And we used to talk a lot about some 
Um, we used to get deep into some theoretical matchmaking and things like that. So maybe we'll bring that back um, for next week, and then that could be a little fun discussion. So um, make sure you tune into that episode. But for now, thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Goodbye.